All right, our scripture this morning comes from John chapter 16. It's fairly long. John chapter, uh, John chapter 17, 17, verses 6 through 26. It's John 17, 6 through 26, and it's Jesus praying. And we're going to look at what he's praying about and, and who he's praying about and what it is that he wants in that prayer that Jesus is praying. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have, to come, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they're in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in, your, sanctify them in truth, your word is truth. And you sent me into the world... So I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be, they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made them known to your name. I have made, one more time, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be, may be in them and I in them. In his book, Six Hours, One Friday, Max Lucado tells this story. Max has a good way of telling the story. He says, England, 19th century Christmas. In a small town, there was a tradition of a village party where all the children would receive gifts. It is a festive occasion. The bright smiles of youngsters, a tall tree at the square, colorful packages. There's a young mentally challenged man in town who, because of his handicap, is the victim of many cruel jokes. The trick played on him this Christmas was the cruelest of all. 
As the mountain of gifts became smaller and smaller, his face grows longer and longer. He's too old for a gift, but he doesn't understand that. His childlike heart is heavy as he watches everyone receive presents except himself. Then one of the boys comes to him with a gift. It is the last one that's under the tree. His eyes dance as he looks at the brightly wrapped package. His excitement soars as he tears away the beautiful ribbon. His fingers race to rip away the paper. But as he opens the box, his heart sinks because the box is empty. Packaging was attractive. Ribbons were colorful. The outside was pretty enough to get him to the inside, but when he got to the inside, it was empty. The box was empty. You know, when you think about your life, I imagine that each one of us could understand how that boy felt. For the times that we've had in our lives, that we've had brightly colored packages that we opened up that ended up not being as advertised. We had, when, uh, when I was a kid, not when I was a kid, when my kids were kids, we uh, were watching television, and they had to have a Marvin's Mystery Board. Have you ever seen one of those? It's a magic, is it Mar- Marvin's Magic Mystery Board, I think is what it is. And you take this little device, and you take this little board they've got, and, and you draw pictures on it, and the pictures come out, and they're beautiful. And then you take the little device and you smear it back and forth again and and then it's black again and then you can draw more pictures. And the kids just had to have it. So we ordered them a a Marvin's Magic Mystery Board. And we got it. And it was a piece of cardboard with this plastic over the top of it that looked like it was filled with tar. And underneath that were just swirls of color. And you had this little rubber thing that you drew and you could not draw a beautiful picture with that to save your life. Beautiful picture, advertised, gorgeous on television. Just $9.95, we could get us one. And then we get it and then we open it up and it's an empty box. And how many things that we have we had in our lives that came to us not as advertised? I had a told you the story before I've told it certainly in prayer meeting about this guy because it's it's that kind of story that sticks in my head young man thought that he 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 joined the church got baptized was on fire for God and for about six months he was as regular as any one person could be he made sure his family came to church wife came to church he wasn't he was just a guy you know he wasn't a bad guy but he wasn't a good guy there were things in his life that could change And so he just flipped his life around and he became the good guy. And for six months, he was the good guy. And then he disappeared. He was just gone. And talked around and asked about him a little bit and found out that he was very, very angry at the church. Angry at everything in the church. What's up with that? And then I find out the full story. The full story is is that he had been witness to And as the story is told in the presentation of the gospel, he was promised that if he would come to Jesus, Jesus would change his life then. He would become a new person then. His finances would change then. His friends would change then. Everything would become better. Right now, right this minute, it would be fixed. We know better than that. 
but the package was wrapped so beautifully. And then after six months, he discovered that it doesn't work that way. And he got angry and left. They wrapped the package with beautiful paper, but when they opened it, the things they promised weren't in the box. There have been times in our lives where, where we felt like him, I believe, where we've looked at what we've been promised in the faith, and we think to ourselves, this isn't what, this isn't the way it works. I know I've done that, and I've leaned back disappointed sometimes and said to myself, what's going on? This is what I've told was going to happen, and this is the way this has turned out. What's supposed to be in the box? How is Christianity supposed to work? Christianity is a a pretty package, but when you open the box up, what is it that we're going to find inside? We're not going to find magic pills. There's not going to be magic money fly to us from somewhere. What, What do we find when we open the box? Well, that's why we read Jesus' prayer. If Jesus is our Lord and Savior, what he wants for us is what we should get, right? That's what ought to be in the box. So we're going to look at some things that Jesus put in that box for us. This is what Christianity will deliver. This is what's supposed to come to us. This is what Jesus himself said. This is what I want for my kids. The first thing he said that he wanted, chapter 17, he tells his father, put in our box joy. Now, I've worked with this word joy a lot because yeah, we, we throw it around a lot in the church. Joy, what is joy? What is joy for me? And as I thought about it, joy for me is satisfaction. It's contentment. It's confidence that everything's going to be all right. And I just feel joyful about it. I feel good on the inside about that. That's what he wants us to have is joy. Jesus tells God that even though the world is going to be hostile towards us, towards those who love him, still give them joy. And you've got to wonder how that works a little bit. If you've listened to the news lately, maybe I'm the only one that thinks that, but there appears to be in our world right now a hostility to religion. More specifically, a hostility towards Christianity. I talked to one of our staff members this week about something that, as a staff, I think we've got to sit down and start talking about because it's going to slap us in the face right pretty quick. The fact that now we're supposed to marry anybody. Homosexuals come in, a couple want to get married. They hadn't said the church has to do it, but the courts are saying that states can't can't stop it that everybody has their right and then we hear about different things that people do I listened to a guy speak the other day about the law he's the uh, head of one of the uh, Christian legal groups about the lawsuits that are being filed and he said quicker and quicker and quicker because you get to some place and a, a teacher tells a child somewhere you can't read your bible here well, that's not, the way that's, that's not the way that's supposed to play out, but that's the way people start believing. And now we've got more and more, there is a hostility to people who are Bible-believing Christians in this world. You may not think it now, but hang on to your seats. That's the way things are headed. Something's got to change. Jesus is saying, in the midst of that, and he's telling us here, they're going to hate you. They hated me. But he's saying, in the midst of that, Father, I want these people to have joy. Jesus says, now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy 
fulfilled in themselves. My joy fulfilled, he says. Another translation says the full measure of my joy. I want them to have every bit of the joy that I had. That's what Jesus is saying. Haven't you said that about your kids? I want my kids to have every good thing that I've had plus a little extra. I want them to have it better than I did, and I think I've got it pretty good. I want them to have it a little bit better. Jesus is saying to his father here, I want my kids, I want my people, the people who are called by my name, to have every bit of the joy that I've got. I want them to be that content, that satisfied, that confident. Now, can you imagine... In the scenario that I just painted a few minutes ago about the hostility to Christianity in the country right now, can you imagine the revival that would sweep the world if every Christian suddenly came to the realization that God, what God said about that he would ultimately triumph over everything, if every Christian suddenly had joy and confidence in them knowing that God is going to do that. That people can say and do whatever they want to say and do and we might go through a dark period of time but when it all turns out at the end God wins and there's nothing anybody can do to stop it. What a difference it would make in our lives in our personal lives if we realized that those individual defeats that we have every day, once a week, once a month the times that we get slapped in the face so hard that those individual defeats they're only temporary You can not be beat. You can't. I need an amen. Thank you for that. I'm telling you, we can't be. We are aligned with the king of the universe who is empowering us. Yes, we're going to get slapped down. Yes, things are going to happen to us. But in the end, we can't be beat. God redeems the worst situation that occurs in our lives. And you're going to say to me, Randy, you don't understand some of the horrors that have happened in my life. And you're right, I don't understand everything that's happened in everybody's life, but I understand that God says he will redeem them all. He wants you to have joy, the fullness of his joy, confidence, satisfaction in life. That's what he's looking for you. Jesus prayed to his father, give them joy. Jesus prayed to his father, make them holy. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctifies means means to make holy, which means that you're set apart from things that aren't holy. It means that we're dedicated to God. Jesus says here, dedicate them to yourself by the truth. Have to understand the word truth here means those things that are true no matter what in every circumstance. Dedicate us to yourself by those things that are true no matter what. And those things that are true are your words, God. They're your words. Those things that we can take to the bank. Things that will never change on us. Things that never leave us stranded. Things that can't be overridden by a Supreme Court ruling. Things that are the words of God. We are made holy by God as his word comes into us and makes us holy. When we realize that all of the variables that we have in our lives, all of the things that affect the outcome of every decision that we make, we actually have something that's a constant. 
It never changes. It's something that you, that you can rely on in every decision you make so that you can make better decisions, so you can make right decisions, so you can make godly decisions. God's word is not variable. It is the truth. When we hear the word, his truth begins to work in us. As we apply the word, the spirit starts interpreting and applying that word to us. And slowly but surely, we become more Christ-like. We become more godly. Listen, that's just a psychological principle. There's a theological principle in that that the Holy Spirit works in us. But ladies and gentlemen, you don't pay millions of dollars for a 30-second commercial for a Super Bowl ad if what people put into their eyes and their minds don't change their behavior. That's the way we operate. What we see, what we think, what we put into us changes who we are. When we put God's word into us, not only does that do something to us, but we have the added bonus of the Holy Spirit of God working in our hearts, applying that to us, teaching us how it operates, teaching us who we're supposed to be, teaching us how to act. You want to know how to get along with people? It's there, tells us how to do that. And the thing about this is, is that he has been planning this since the beginning of time for you. For you. Not for us. For you. When you go to Romans 8, 29 and 30, this is one of those verses that people go, ah, because it talks about predestination. But I want you to understand what he's predestining us to do. He says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, listen, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Jesus is saying in this text, I want them to be like me, Father. And he's saying here, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. God is working in us to make us more and more like Jesus every day. One of the things that we've got to work on one of the things I want to work on, maybe you think, Randy, that's not necessary. That's, I think it's something we need to work on, is for men in the church to understand. We have couched so much in the church in feminine language. We're going to admire Jesus. We sing these songs of praise to Jesus that, that we would sing to a girl. And guys aren't necessarily comfortable with that. I want guys to understand that Jesus was not a weenie. He was not some passive little guy that wandered through life with his hands folded saying, God bless everybody. He was a guy that could get mad enough that he walked into the temple. He threw tables all over the place. He was smart enough to know how to take cords, wrap them together, and turn them in whips. And he was obviously a big enough, strong enough man that when people were walking toward him and he had it in his hands, they got scared. Does that sound like a weenie to you? Don't sound like it to me either. And that's one of the things I want us to understand, men. He is conforming us to his image. He is conforming us to a position of strength, understanding, honor, holiness. God's working in us to make us more and more like Jesus every day. God's will for our life, his will for our life, one of the things in the box is for him to work in us to make us holy. Not you make yourself holy because you can't do it. He's working in us. 
He's working in us to make us holy. He predestined us for that. In other words, he planned before everything got started, he planned that's what he was going to do with his people. He's made up his mind before the foundation of the world and Jesus is praying to his father saying, that's what I want you to do. That's what I want my children to grow up as. That's how I want to see my children. Satisfied, I want to see them satisfied, I want to see them holy. And I want to see them have a job to do. Jesus prays, and you sit, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Jesus is sending us into the world to bear fruit for the kingdom. But notice he doesn't say how we're supposed to do it. He only says that we're supposed to do it, that he's sending us. Bearing fruit shouldn't be an obsession for us. It should just be who we are. God's making us holy. That holiness is evident in whether we're counting money at the bank or ringing up groceries at Ingalls. It doesn't matter. The holiness comes out of us everywhere we are. It's not something you flip on and flip off. It is who you are. As we are made holy, Jesus is lifted up. And as Jesus is lifted up, what does the scripture say happens when Jesus is lifted up? When I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to me. If Jesus is being lifted up in your life, people are going to come to you because they want what you've got. You may not understand what's going on. They may not understand what's going on, but that's what's happening. You bear fruit almost by accident because that's who you are. He is changing you, and people want what you have. Tell me somebody that doesn't want satisfaction. Tell me somebody that doesn't want joy. Tell me somebody who doesn't want to have a successful life. We can get those people help. Because there's not many of them. Another thing in our Christian box is something we talk all the time about is heaven. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. I believe this with all of my heart. I believe that when we get to heaven, streets of gold, walls of precious stone, all of the sights of people, you know, I've, I've said before and I've joked with other people about when I get there, I want to meet Moses, I want to meet Elijah, I want to meet John the Baptist, I want to meet John, I want to meet Paul, Peter, I want to see all the disciples, I want to meet all the saints that have gone before me, I want to meet all these people. But I believe that when we get there, that all of that will pale in comparison to when we get to meet Jesus face to face. In fact, I believe that if we got to heaven and found out that all of that was trying just to describe a situation, that none of that really existed, the only thing that we got to do would meet Jesus face to face, I believe that every one of us would be 100% thoroughly satisfied in that moment, meeting Jesus face to face. It's a moment that we can't even begin to imagine now. To meet the Son of God face to face. To be able to, to praise Him and adore Him without speaking. To know who He is without saying anything. All of this, the, 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 the physical person that I am, limited in mind. I was, I was talking uh, with someone the other day and we were talking about eternity. And where did things come from? How did this start? And I told him I don't even go down that road. Because once I do, my mind just starts spinning around in little circles if we get to the end of it, what's on the other side? There's got to be something. There's two sides to everything, right? And then we get to the end of that one, and there's two sides. Where? How? I don't understand. When I meet him face to face, I will understand how that works. It'll be the most excellent beginning. 
to our eternal lives. That's what Jesus wants. Jesus prayed that his Father would have us in heaven with him. And then there's one last thing in the box that has been jumping out at me a lot lately, and I think it's something that, that is very important. Jesus wants for us to be unified. He wants us to be the church. He wants the body to be powerful because the body is of one mind. Jesus says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Perfectly one, he said. Perfectly one. The reason unity is power for us is unity is evidence to the world that we're different from everybody else. You know, I was thinking about this when I was going over the sermon a few minutes ago and all of the churches that have split because people fought. This group had this, and this group had this, this group had this, and this group had this. And I got to thinking, you know, obviously, and I wasn't there, so maybe I'm wrong, but obviously, when you read the scripture, there's, it talks about a way of, of handling disputes and how we're supposed to do things like that. And I can look in my own life where I've not done things that way and the way it turned out at the end. And he's telling us here, he wants us to be perfectly one. I've given you a way to do this. And if you do this, the world is going to go, wow, look at those people. Because we're following Jesus, we are like Jesus. People see Jesus. If you stop and think about it, it all boils down to the definition of the church. Church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, is nothing else than the fellowship in faith and love of those who believe in Jesus Christ. Fellowship. Fellowship. Where there is no fellowship, there is no church. Now we can build a big barn. We can put lots of seats in it. We can bring lots of people in. We can sing and raise our hands and shout hallelujah and do all kinds of churchy things there. But if there is no fellowship... You don't have a church. You've just got a bunch of people coming together to sing. If there is no fellowship, there is no church. It's the unity of the body that proves to the world that Jesus' love truly makes a difference in people's lives. The fellowship of us wanting to be with each other, wanting to understand each other, to lift each other up, to be friends, all unified in the fact that Jesus Christ is at the core of our being. If he can make a difference in our lives, he can make a difference in everybody's lives. So what's our response? He's prayed this for us. We've ripped off the packaging, we've looked in the box, and we see the books, the box is full of things that Jesus wants for us. What is our response? I believe our response is to pray simply to him, Holy Father, please answer the prayer of Christ in this place. Bring about these things in our lives through the power of the name of our Redeemer, Jesus, who is the Christ, our Lord and Savior. That's it. Father, Jesus prayed this to you. We ask you to answer Jesus' prayer. Will you pray that prayer with me this morning? Let's pray together. Father, Holy Father, please answer the prayer of Christ in this place, in this house, First Baptist Church of Grace. 
Father, each one of the members here, we pray that each one of us receive those things that Jesus prayed for and mentioned us, saying that not just for those that were there then, but for all who believed. That that prayer, Father, would be answered right here in this place. Bring about these things in our lives through the power of the name of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior. Amen. This morning I want to ask you if you have accepted Christ as your Savior, but you've never made a public commitment of that faith, I would ask you if, when we sing our hymn of invitation, if you'd like to come forward to please do. If you want to join the church, come and do that. If you want to pray, do that. I would ask you this morning to think about what we've talked about this morning and think about two words. We talked about this yesterday, yesterday morning at Brotherhood. What if? What if we did these things? What if we prayed this prayer in sincerity and what if God delivered them in this place? What would it look like? How would we react? How would we feel towards one another? When we go to work tomorrow morning, how would we face our boss, our, our employer, our co-workers? How would we be? What if this happened? Because I believe, people, I believe that this is not a what if I believe that this is not something that we can talk about and hope about and put a few little limits. You know, Jesus will do this in the middle. I believe if we will allow him, he will do something marvelous in our sight. Pray for that. Pray for that with all of your heart. Let's look for Jesus. Let's find him. Let's see him. Let's see what he'll do with us.